0: She is sure, she is she is strong, she is strong, she is true, she is
1: true. She is brave, she is she is bold, she is you, she is sure, she is she is strong, she is true, she is true. She is brave, she is she is bold, she is bold, she is you. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Prather Stafford with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. On its website, the Wake Forest Center for Entrepreneurship has a post that lists five traits successful artists and entrepreneurs have in common. They are as follows in no particular order. Number one, they spot an opportunity. Number two, they think outside the box. Number three, they lead with creativity. Number four, they embrace the challenge. Number five, they are resilient. The post concludes that if you dive into the stories of artists and entrepreneurs, you'll see a lot more similarities than differences. That's why I'm excited to interview today's guest. Frenchie Ferenzi is a business strategist and advisor for overwhelmed but seriously ambitious experts and creatives. She helps small business owners do the right work at the right time so they can stay on the path to consistent revenue growth. From having sold-out launches to spending more time with their kids, she empowers her clients to achieve their biggest business goals without falling victim to the business grind. Welcome to the Girls That Create podcast, Frenchie Ferenczi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. To start off, um, can you tell us some about your business? Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. So I am a business strategist and advisor, and I really focus on helping small businesses, typically, you know, one to five employees who are seeing some growth, but find themselves at this stage where they're like, I want to grow more. I'm happy with where I've been, but also if growing more means, like giving up my life, my sleep, my family time, my all of that, I'm not interested, right? So I really get in there and I focus on strategic pathways to growth with a focus on marketing and automation and simplifying everything that we do.
1: Fantastic. I can't think of a better word for people than simplifying.
2: Right. I mean, it's like, literally, this could be easier. I always think back to this statistic that I once heard that something like only 20% of advertising works. We just don't know which 20%, so we keep putting out all the stuff. And I'm always like, my goal, when I think about my work with my clients, let's
1: figure out the 20% that's working and only do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things you do, because I've actually signed up for your newsletter, and there was a story, actually, I want to return to when you were little. Sure. Cause it really it struck me. As someone who's raising girls, as someone who's very focused on how can we teach our girls to advocate for themselves and kind of stand up for themselves. So when you were in sixth grade, your dad's friend, and you call him Hugo when you were kind of (laughs) recalling this story, but he came to visit. And can you share how his behavior during that visit made you realize not to put up with things that made you feel bad or less than about yourself? Yes. Oh, Hugo. So
2: he was there, and he's European, certainly has, like, different – you know, it was also the early 2000s, so the whole idea of body positivity was, like, very different. But he really made fun of my body the whole time, right? And he wasn't yes to be more specific about my weight and about my size and about what I was eating and what I wasn't eating. and. You know, we'd be sitting at the dinner table and he'd pass for the food to Frenchie. Frenchie wants more food. Frenchie can't stop eating. She never stops eating. Like kind of obsessive in that way. And then while he was there, we went on a bike ride and my bike broke. And he kind of treated me like I had broken the bike because I don't even think I was chubby, by the way, just to be clear, right? Like, I'm like, I don't recall feeling that way in my own body, but his perception was that. And so I had broken my bike because of that. And then we went to an ice cream store after, and he wanted to get me ice cream, and I was like, no, thank you. Like, I'm good right now. And he's like, what? You just don't eat tons and tons of sugar every day? And it was relentless, right? And it really made me, I was young, and I was highly impressionable, and I was highly insecure in my body, right? Like, I grew up in the age of Kate Moss and, you know, like Victoria's Secret Angels all being stick fan and all those sorts of things. So, I mean, I was 12, but I still had that, like, really deep sense of body awareness. And I think about this a lot when it comes to girls, adolescents, tweens, teens, and so on, because I think for me, in hindsight, right, like 20 years later, I can now say I see how that experience helped me build my sense of self because he was so relentless. That at a certain point in time, even if you don't have, like, a super strong sense of self, you're like, wait a minute, I don't deserve this. This this feels too much. And that first experience, right, at least within my memory, of really feeling I deserve better, I should be standing up for myself here, was really powerful and transformative. I mean, I still talk about it. You know, he was at my wedding because he's my dad's friend, and my dad is still friends with him despite,
0: <laughs> despite this
2: situation. And he was there, and he kept telling me, like, oh my goodness, you look so beautiful. And I was just like, I actually don't care what you have to say about the way that I look. You know, they say, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. I'm like, don't take a compliment from someone who's like criticized you too much. So... I think there's a funny thing about our physical being. It's our home, right? Like it's the home of everything that we do. And so I think learning to just set boundaries around what I felt comfortable with other people saying and also with what I felt comfortable thinking about myself was really important. And I think about this a lot with my own kids. Like my son got pushed at school recently and I was like, I just don't ever want him to feel sad. And I was like, he is going to feel sad, right? And I wonder where is the middle ground for us to Make more space for the conversation around the insecurity rather than just be like, don't feel insecure, you look great, or whatever, and really open up the dialogue around that.
1: 100%. And also just I think that's important to when you start younger to kind of say it's okay to have these feelings. And mm. for a long time I feel parents were kind of like, we walk this tightrope of, well, get over it, or it's a phase, or you'll work through it, and then you hear that about yourself, and you're trying to kind of build them up to move through something, but then at the same time, you're like, oh, but I need to be acknowledging that this is where they're at right now, because they're still in a mindset of, it's day-to-day, not, I'm not thinking in 20 years, I'm going to look back and be like, yeah, well, you know what, that really stunk, but at least I learned something good about myself, sure. and that I can take and deal with the hegos in my life, but you know, it's just It feels really big, and it is really big, right? I mean, it's all relative. And I think about if you work with businesses, you have a great sentence that I really liked about how to do the work. And it basically says doing the right work consistently and Mm -hmm. showing up consistently. What does that exactly mean? Because when I read it, it makes sense. At the same time, I know it's such a simple sentence, but there's so much more there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I think about that in almost two ways, right? So one is this idea of how do we start doing the right work? And back to that kind of notion that I mentioned earlier around, like, what's the 20% of the work that's actually working and bringing you closer to your goals? And that's what I would define as the right work. It's the work that actually has an impact and moves the needle in your business. But then we actually have to do it, right? And that's, <laughs> sometimes the hard part is figuring out what the right work is. Most of the time, the hard part is then doing the right work consistently. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. I think that one, sometimes that consistency leads to more measured results, right? It doesn't lead to that feeling of intensity and windfall and all these kind of hustle mindset ideas that we glorify. And I think consistency is the long game, right? Because consistency to me is a sign of perseverance. It's a sign of this may not have worked perfectly this time, but I believe this will work as I continue to move forward, and I have the evidence to believe that. And so I think the important thing about consistency is also that consistency, it's not be going at 150% all the time, right? It's actually more about how can we show up on a regular basis and do the thing, the work. And kind of there's like this very proactive approach and then this also more passive part, which is like and trust the outcome because there's every reason to believe that it's going to lead to what you want. But I think entrepreneurs in particular, one, sometimes feel like they don't have the time to wait for all sorts of reasons, whether it's like cash flow, runway, all that sort of thing. I also have found that entrepreneurs, the pursuit of novelty is always there. It's, Always we get bored. We're like looking for new things. We're excited about the next thing. Oh, maybe this will work either faster or better or sooner or, you know, all those things. And I always say, like, I don't really believe that there's like one right strategy for growth and for business growth. It's really just a strategy that you can
1: execute frequently. I also love this idea that being effective and being busy are two completely different things, which I think impacts everyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. It can be just in your day-to-day job if you work for someone else. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can be in your everyday job. It can be in your in your life jobs, right? And I think that we – I'm a New Yorker. We wear busyness as our badge of honor. Everyone's like, how are you busy, you know? I'm you know, like – Cool, congratulations. And, you know, I see it from, like, with myself at home with my kids, right, during the day. You know, I gave up on cleaning up toys during the day because, you know what, they're just going to become a mess again, so why not just do one cleanup at the end of the day? But there's this feeling that if you're not doing, you're not adding value, and I think that that's flawed. And we kind of do it to ourselves and then really wear ourselves out. And so when I think about being effective, I really think first about, What is the goal and the outcome that I really want? And then from there, how am I using my time and energy to move me closer to that rather than using my time and energy because I should be, right? Because I should be, you know, should, could, would, all the things. Because I believe that not doing anything is worse than possibly just sometimes you got to wait, you know, (laughs) you just got to wait. So that's really what I think about, and I think it is a big difference because, We've all gotten to Friday and looked at the week that just passed and felt like, wait a minute, what did I get done this week? Right? And that's when you can, that's a good tell that you're busy but not necessarily effective. Because if you're effective, if you're moving the needle closer to your goals, you get to Friday and you're like,
1: that was a good week. Plus, if you don't give yourself the space because you're always trying to, quote, unquote, be busy, it doesn't let you have time to almost reevaluate how could it be better. How could I actually make some little changes? What's not working? Because I never take the time to pause and think about it. Yeah, totally. And I want to talk also about growth plateaus because I think this happens to a lot of folks as well. You know, whether you own a business or not, but, you know, most of us have experienced a plateau professionally at some point. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give to those who kind of find, who might be finding themselves stuck or see someone they care about who's stuck and want to try to help support them?
2: Yeah. So one of the, I kind of believe that everything can be reverse engineered, right? So I tend to believe we can always build a strategy. I actually think that the most common reason people are stuck in plateaus, and this is true in business, this is true in career, this is true in all sorts of places, is that, they actually aren't clear enough about what's on the other side of the plateau. And so back to that idea of goals being really important, it's really when you can like shine a light on what it is exactly that you want that's on the other side of that plateau, then you can reverse engineer your way into that in a much easier way. You know, I'm a runner. Well, I'm a runner-ish, but I'm a runner. And so I, when I think about my pace, right, I'm a slow runner. Like I'm a I'm more of a jogger. And, I think about running like longer races and I've done a half marathon and you know, that sort of thing. And I'm like, I try to get really clear. Like, what do I want my mile time to be? What do I want my next mile time to be? Because otherwise I've seen it. I've done long runs. My pace is the same, but Mm -hmm. if I'm like my goal is to get to this very specific other side of this, that's where the growth starts to happen. So I think in terms of breaking through plateaus, that really is such a key piece of it is okay. More is vague. Let's get more specific than more. Is it 10% more revenue? Is it 30% more time? Is what, like, really map it out? so that then you can reverse engineer your pathway to get in
0: there.
1: Now, at the same time, you have a very strong feelings about the word manifesting.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> do, I do. I yeah. do. I won't drop any F-bombs on here, but yes.
1: Well, when you hear the word, what comes to mind?
2: So I think I really grapple with, the work that I do at times, because I am really part of this online space. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I really get, you know, bucketed as a business coach. I don't call myself a coach for all sorts of reasons, but also because I'm not credentialed as a coach. And frankly, I'm too bossy to be a coach. I'm much more like directive. <laughs> I just do this and we should be good. And I think that manifesting is one of those words that gets misused a lot, right? So, I love the idea of having a really big vision, having a big dream, right? Like, And like I said, you want to know what's on the other side of that plateau. You want to really imagine what that can look like. But manifesting is not passive. It is a highly active state. And I think that the way that it's messaged sometimes is that it's all about just, like, if you really want it enough and if you really, like, hold on to the vision. And I find that to be incredibly toxic And, you know, if we think back to our friend Hugo, like, it's kind of a similar thing where you can keep turning on yourself because you're not manifesting well enough or there's something wrong with you and you're a bad manifester. And I actually think that shuts down one of the key qualities that we really need, which is curiosity, right? If you're struggling to move forward then the best thing you can do is not blame yourself the best because that's going to shut you down the best thing that you can do is actually like explore the facts and the data and so when I think of manifesting to me I'm like we we get to have more control over the outcomes that we want than just slapping something up on a vision board and you know manifesting it
1: absolutely and I think about that especially when we you know Time is our most cherished resource. I think everyone pretty much feels that way, especially at this point with so many, as you mentioned, messages coming at us. People are trying to get our attention. It can feel very overwhelming, and we need to be very aware of how and why we're giving away our time. And sometimes you can look up and realize that you're just throwing your time out everywhere without actually thinking intentionally about what you're prioritizing and how you should actually guard it. I would just love to hear your thoughts about that whole idea of throwing it out, but then guarding it and understanding that you need to really consider how you're putting your time out there. Yeah.
2: So I always, you know, I meet a lot of people who are like I am time positive. I tend to think that I can do more in the time that I have than I actually can. And I think that's (laughs) true for a lot of people. And so the number one thing that I tend to see An opportunity for when it comes to time and how you prioritize your time is actually getting like really real with yourself like about how much time you have right how much time do I actually have to whether it's let's say you're an entrepreneur for the sake of this conversation to to work on my business I've worked with women who take care of their children all day work on their business during nap, perhaps after bedtime the amount of hours that they have is just less than someone who has full-time care and is out of the house and all of that and so that doesn't mean that their business can't grow, but if they are charging themselves with as much work as someone who has 50 hours a week, but they only have 10 hours a week, they're always going to feel behind and they're always going to feel like they're failing, right? And I don't want that for anyone. So I that grounding how you think about time in reality can be incredibly, incredibly helpful. I also really love this that I learned from a mentor of mine, which to create a little bit of a rubric of like, what are three to five metrics? or, like, criteria that something's need something needs to meet in order to even be considered for your time. So for me right now, it's what's the ROI? How does it support my personal brand? How does it support my family? Right? Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't actually have an impact on one of those three things, or ideally all of those three things, then I'm not even considering it. It just gets topped out. So, yes, I think letting go of saying yes too much – right, and back that idea of, like, busyness being a badge of honor and really get real about your time and give yourself a way to evaluate choices that are completely neutral and unemotional.
1: And with that, you and I actually met at the Mom 2.0 conference, and there was something you mentioned in your talk there. It was about staying close to the money, and I really mm-hmm. love that idea, mm-hmm. and I look up and I wonder how much we're really teaching our kids to understand the importance of staying close to the money especially yeah. girls. I think about that as well, like when mean, you're starting your career and why is that important that we need to instill in them that they need to be staying close to the money?
2: Ugh, such a fun question. I think that there's a couple components to it. So when I think of staying close to the money, I think about it really through the lens of, you know, I come from startups. And so this is something that I saw was missing in startups, that we were all working on different goals and some of which have had an impact and some of which don't. And ultimately, I think it's just about especially when we think about women and we think about girls who will eventually be women and the mental load that often becomes ours and certain, you know, just culturally, the responsibilities that end up being like women's work no matter how much our society is progressing. And so I would say to anyone who's beginning to introduce this topic earlier in life, I would say, you know, staying close to money, yes, it can be about the cash. But I also think it's really about evaluating where are you, like, what are you doing and why are, you know, what's the net benefit? I think that sometimes I think about this a lot with, like, I mentioned picking up toys. But I hear people say things like, I'm a bad mom. I ordered in tonight. To me, that's, like, another example of staying close to the money. Like, you could have spent three hours, Mm -hmm. you know, cooking dinner. Or you could have ordered in, and net, you know, depending on your situation, that might make more sense. I live in New York where nobody does their laundry because we all live in apartments. Everybody sends out their laundry in New York, right? And I'm always like, I never understood, even if, like, why would you do your laundry if you had a washer dryer in your house? (laughs) So much time, and there's so much more valuable things you could be doing in that time that would be closer to the money if you're running a business or just closer to, you know, your personal goals or what have you. I think about staying close money sometimes is like a little bit of a shortcut, right? You don't need to do 8 million steps if there's only two steps to take. So think about what those two steps could be. And if and when it's possible, like lean in on those. And understand the value of
1: your time. And I yes. think women, we tend to think it's strange. Almost we feel the need to have to do it ourselves. Well, I need to make the school cupcakes from scratch. And I need to decorate them from scratch yeah. for this. No, it's okay if you went to the store and just bought the pre-made cupcakes. It's fine. Like, yes, yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. I was that was my plan this year, and then my son was like,
2: "I want to make them together." I was
1: like, "Well, they're <laughs> sad, but yeah." But then, <laughs> then that's switching the value because now it's totally. become an activity for y'all to do together. Exactly. I'm so that's a good Exactly. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. This is Erin. Have you heard of Creative Live? Creative Live is an incredible online learning platform that offers courses on all kinds of subjects, photography, self-improvement, art, writing, and web design, to name a few. I have personally taken several courses, such as A Brand Called You with Debbie Millman, and Workflow, Time Management, and Productivity for Creatives with Lisa Congdon. And I plan to take even more courses in writing, networking, and video production. If you've ever wanted to pursue a creative outlet, I highly recommend taking a look at Creative Live. It's a great way to improve your craft and broaden your knowledge. Girls That Create is part of the Creative Live affiliate program, which means if you click on the link in the show notes and purchase a course, we'll receive a small affiliate commission. Thank you for supporting us.
0: She is brave. She is bold, she is you, and we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win.
2: Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U S survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again,
0: unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. My
1: guest today is business strategist, Frenchie Frenzy. What advice do you give to clients about keeping a pulse on their mental health? Speaking of, about yeah. having to make the cupcakes or do make the cupcakes. But, you know, when they work for themselves or someone else, just being aware of what's also going on inside of themselves.
2: It's such a complex one. First of all,
1: there has been more than one time where I've said
2: to a client, like, you have a therapist, right? Because i just like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that you need to work through. And thanks to kind of this and the work environments that I worked in in the past and that sort of thing, like, my emotional boundaries are pretty strong, right? So, like, I know what I am and what I'm not responsible for. And so I see that. But... I think the biggest thing that I always try to transmit in around the conversation of mental health is that one, I have a lot of empathy because I have had my own mental health struggles like over the course of my life. But it's that wherever you go, like there you are, right? My therapist once shared that phrase with me and I really liked it. And I think that sometimes people will turn on themselves because they're struggling. And back to that idea of manifesting, if I wanted it enough, I wouldn't be, you know, and struggling and having a hard time and not feeling at your best all the time or experiencing, you know, feelings of depression, rage, like all of it is not a fatal flaw and it's not a broken part of you that just needs to be like pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. And I think that sometimes that gets forgotten because we live in a world where we're kind of expected to push everything away and know how to do that without any real like language or tools to do So, And I think the other thing that I would say, and I would say this especially to people who are planning on joining the more traditional workforce, is that there is a really fine line between owning your mental health journey and taking care of yourself and expecting other people to take care of it for you. And I think that that is a tricky thing, especially in workplaces, because of the dynamics and how they unfold, that it's so important to understand what is your responsibility and what is someone else's responsibility. And sometimes when you are at work, the easiest thing to do and the healthiest thing to do is to compartmentalize. But if you're struggling, that means that you need to have the help and support in place to compartmentalize and deal with it later. So basically, I guess my takeaway there is make sure you have help available or on hand, you know, so that it's not like you're in a moment of crisis and you're suddenly like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to do? And also, always challenge yourself to ask yourself, did this person make me feel this way or something going on that made, co-created that experience? And sometimes people are just jerks, and so I just want to be mindful of that. Like, certainly people out there who do things. But always ask yourself the question anyways, because then you'll learn to trust your gut more and more. The more you ask the question, the more you can oh, okay, no, that person was a jerk. Okay, no, this is something going on with me. I'll look into that when I have time. So, yes, be
1: curious and have that personal reflection. I think, yeah. too, it's important when you're going to the workforce, and actually even if you're creating your own workforce, if you're, whether you're creating it or going into it, to look at the culture of what's happening and understand how that may impact you. Because one culture works for a group of people, and then it may not work for another group of people. Because it, it, yeah. we're all so different, and our needs are also different, and our backgrounds, and where we come from, and yeah. our value system. And you have to kind of examine what you either want to create or what you're willing to step into and embrace. Absolutely, absolutely. You've been actually open about learning from past mistakes in your career and now using them to help others in your business. Can you share some thoughts about why we need to extend that grace to others and ourselves when we carry those life lessons forward? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I have so many thoughts on this.
2: I I think this is such an important question, right?
1: Because I think it's so
2: easy, and I know it's so easy because I've done this to be like, I would never, right? And you kind of see funny TikToks about this, right? We'll start with like some levity. You see funny TikToks about before I had kids, I, I said, I would never let my kids watch an iPad in a restaurant. And then it's like flash forward to like you sitting in a restaurant with your kids watching iPads, right? So I think it's so easy for us to quickly go into a little bit of like our moral high ground and assume that we wouldn't do something. And I actually think that sometimes in that moment, I think it's important to ask yourself, actually would I never right and ask yourself what would it take for me to do something like that right like try to kind of imagine all the different circumstances because you know you, I mean I don't want to I don't want to talk about violence but like, you see this with people who are like I would never hurt a fly and they never would until someone they love is in harm's way And that changes, right? And that's something that we all can empathize with. But all of us can also empathize with being on the other side of, like, I would never punch someone in the face. And it's, like, kind of, like, unless I really had to. And I think that's true in so many ways. I think that in workplaces you will sometimes meet people who are dealing with their own stuff and who may, you know, be the people who throw people under the bus. They may be the people who are just, willing to work 15-hour days because they'll do anything to feel successful. And I think the extending grace is almost like too generous, but I feel like extending benefit of the doubt or leading with benefit of the doubt can make such a big difference. And, you know, you mentioned my own experience. I mean, I don't want to go into the whole story because we don't have that much time, but I got publicly canceled on a petition demanding my termination after a a two-and-a-half-year stint thinking that I was really working so hard to be a good leader, to be a thoughtful leader. And I still made mistakes. And I think in that moment when I realized that this endless journey of trying to be as perfect as possible and get it all right is exhausting. And look, look where it got me. It didn't even get me where I wanted to go. So let me show up with my best foot forward every day. Sometimes people are going to think that it's my best foot forward. Sometimes people won't, but what I wish had been extended to me in that scenario was at least the benefit of the doubt that I was not ever coming from a place of malice or ill will. Or at the very least, curiosity to be of like, why? Do you, like, What do you think happened here? Mm-hmm. And I feel like not getting that felt really, really hurtful, far more hurtful than the acts themselves, was just
1: getting written off as like, oh, canceled, bye. I think too, you know, there's that idea of, realizing we're always changing growing developing just because of our experiences and what we're exposed to and having these really important conversations and that's just part of being human and yes when you plateau but when you Mm -hmm. stop and you no longer grow and change and understand that or you just think well this is just how I'm at and this is and nothing will ever change my opinion that almost as you mentioned I mean can cause a lot of harm because then you're not being open and letting yourself consider what's yeah. going on and get out of your own head. I think that's the hardest part. You have to get out of your own head sometimes. It
2: also it lot of a time. time. Yeah. No, I think I really want to normalize that. Like, in my experience, right, it took me two years to even start talking about what had happened, and then I wrote an op-ed about it, right? Like, I was like, all right, if we're going to go out, we're going to go all out. And I remember I got some negative comments on my op-ed, which I was prepared for, and one of them was kind of referring to the fact that I was clearly just writing this article to promote my business. And I was like, yeah, right? Just be, I was like, you're right. And they were saying it kind of with like a negative connotation. But I was like, there's no reason why I need to be punishing myself for the rest of my life or forevermore. And sit in a corner feeling like I need to just repent when I'm also identify what went wrong. Learn where I can do things differently. Learn where I think maybe there was just a perception gap, right? Because there was all of those things. I'm sure I made mistakes. I know I made mistakes. And there were things that were out of context and weren't understood, right? So all of those things are true. And I think always just keep, I guess, in your mind, in through the lens of extending grace, should that person be canceled
1: forever for something that they did? And you have to do something pretty bad for that. Right. <laughs> And speaking of your business, I do want to mention, so tell me about Strategy Snacks, your podcast.
2: Yeah, so Strategy Snacks is my podcast. I always call it like an audio program. I don't know why, but it's a podcast. And you can find it on the Apple Podcast app. But the it's really all about getting right to the core of it. So every episode is under 10 minutes, and they're bite-sized business tips either for me from guests um, and I often use audience questions to guide the direction of the episodes so that it can feel really relevant and on point and all those things. So highly recommend that you listen if you are a business owner. And even if you're working inside an organization and you want to be seen more, I think one of the best ways to really like stand out in an organization is to be more entrepreneurial and intro within the organization. And so one way to do that is actually to, like, learn from entrepreneurs and think about how can I move the needle in my own team, department, whatever that might be.
1: So definitely check it out. And, you know, we talk a lot about creatives and creativity on this podcast. And one of the things that was brought up to me by a creator was that all artists, whatever field you're in, we're actually all entrepreneurs because we're promoting our craft. We're selling what we do. But that's a great way of saying it. Even if you're in an organization, you need to be thinking about how are you letting what you can do be known to others? Exactly. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's how you stand out, right? If you as an employee in an organization are thinking all the time about how is this close to the money, like you will stand out.
1: And speaking of that, what three pieces of advice would you give young women who are actually dreaming of starting their own business? They have the entrepreneur desire in their blood.
2: So, one, perseverance, right? I mean, people are, you're going to get all these different people telling you that, oh, it's all about this strategy or that strategy. The number one thing is that when things don't go well, you're going to need to show up the next day, even if it's just you. And to the mental health piece, that doesn't mean not dealing with whatever stuff comes up when, you know, you get knocked down. You want to deal with that, too, but you still got to show up the next day. So, perseverance, a thousand percent. Be curious and investigate, right? So... When something happens that doesn't go as planned, that doesn't go the way that you want, it's tempting to just shut down and not look at it, right? It's like the smush spider. You're just like, okay, it's gone. I don't want to see it. But actually, you really want to – that's when you need to dig in because that's where you get the information to do better and to do differently. Mistakes are valuable, and I know it sounds so cheesy, but I think about it through the lens of, like, mistakes are valuable because they're giving you really, really good information about what doesn't work which can allow you to just start, like, doing less but actually being more effective. And then the third is to listen to your audience. It seems a lot of the time that when people are starting businesses, there's this feeling of, one, oh, I'm my own audience, so I know, you know, exactly what my people want, and I think that can be problematic. But also, when you are an entrepreneur, I feel like every entrepreneur has at least one degree more ego than, you average person because we need to be self-referential. And I think what can happen as a result of that is that we actually forget to realize that we're building something for our consumers to engage with, buy, and so on and so forth. And so if they're not excited by what you're doing, it doesn't matter how excited you are, something is amiss. So listen to your audience, let them guide you, let them give you information that will help you build a better business and a more
1: customer-centric business. Last question. For your business, how did you listen to your audience? How did you reach out to them? Oh,
2: so all sorts of ways. I think that what would be so great is if our audience members were like, listen, Frenchie, I really want you to post, you know, about this twice a week. And then I think if you made a program that was designed, you know, all of that would be great, but that doesn't happen so much. So there's a couple of ways quick, easy way, interviews and really getting that information and learning from their words. But even in interviews, they're not going to tell you what to do. So they're going to tell you a series of problems, concerns, ideas, thoughts, and feelings. And then you're going to need to look at all that information and actually decide what to do with it. So that's always an easy way. But other things that I think are really interesting is like, Sales are an indicator of what your audience is telling you, right? If people aren't buying, and I don't mean on your first launch or your second launch, but if after a certain amount of time it's not working, it gives you a sense that either the messaging is off or the product market fit is not there. What are people engaging with? What are people excited to talk about? What emails get more replies? You know, if you want to get really nerdy about it, you can do all, like, web analytics. What pages are people hanging out on? How many people are downloading a freebie? So, There's a lot of different ways. I think some of it can be said in words, and a lot of it is also looking at behavior, and then from there, making assumptions about
1: what that behavior means and working off of that. Great advice. Frenchie Ferenzi, thank you so much for being with us on the Girls That Create podcast.
2: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to be here.
1: To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Let's teach our girls to think about what's on the other side of the plateaus and how lessons in entrepreneurship can positively impact their artistic dreams. Here's our closing theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather-Stafford.
0: She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true.